Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning to you again. Uh, We're so grateful that you're here with us today. Uh, There's this life principle that is made popular by this classic leadership guru and a management guru named Stephen Covey. Maybe you're familiar with that name. He authored a, a fantastic book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the things that he says, one of the habits he says of highly effective people is that you begin with the end in mind. Have you ever heard that before? Begin with the end in mind. And maybe you've had a, a project or a, a task that you were leading at work and you've thought to yourself, one of the best ways to actually go about doing that is to visualize what needs to happen and what is the goal and how are we going to get there. And then you kind of start backtracking and figuring out the ways to make that happen. He says that's what it means to begin with the end in mind. If you have ever run a race, you know that there is something, a physical race, you know there's something really powerful about visualizing that finish line and visualizing what it's going to feel like to cross that finish line. That's what helps you not quit in the middle of it. You're beginning that race with the end in mind. For those of us that have children, I'm sure that you have hopes and dreams and things that you hope God does in the lives of your children. And you're beginning with the end in mind, meaning that as they transition into school, we have a rising kindergartner, so pray for us. You know, it's our baby, and uh, he's starting kindergarten, and I'm just not sure that they're ready for that. Um, And we're definitely not ready for that. Uh, But there's something so joyful about that. Some of you have rising middle schoolers. Some of you have rising high schoolers. Some of you just got rid of your high school or from your house, and they're headed off to college. And you think about all those transitions and the things that you want to see happen in their lives. But you know that the time to start investing in them is not the last few weeks that you have with them, but it's at every juncture in their life to say, I want to begin with the end in mind. What do I hope happens in their life? And how do we start setting up those uh, kind of systems for that right now? And so I love this principle. It's a brilliant life principle. It's a brilliant leadership principle. But it's also kind of a cool spiritual principle because today we find ourselves at the end of this sermon series called Masterclass, where we've been walking through the book of Romans for the entire summer. And in the parting words of this letter from Paul, God inspired Paul. It was the words of God, and Paul writes these down. And Paul reiterates some really incredible truths throughout the two last chapters that we're looking at today in Romans 15 and 16 that he wants the church to grasp. He wants them to get these big ideas. He, he, he wants them to understand the end of the story. And when you understand where he closes the book of Romans, it really makes sense as to what he's doing the entire letter. Because at the end of Romans chapter 16, he reminds the church in his parting words, God is victorious and you only come to salvation through faith. He says one more time, and that has been kind of a theme of the entire letter. He reminds them one more time, God is victorious, God is victor over all, and you only come to a salvation through faith. Now, this letter 
to the church in Rome, it is so rich and it's so good. And it covers some really difficult themes. There's some really uh, incredibly challenging themes that we've unpacked throughout the course of this series. And then there's some that have just been so refreshing and that, that all of them are refreshing, but we, we love those truths, don't we, that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, that there's nothing that separates us from the love of God. And in chapters 15 and 16, Paul closes the letter and he leaves them with some parting words. And ultimately, he highlights a number of people who are partners with him in ministry, and he reminds them once again of those big ideas, beginning with the end in mind. He reminds them, God is victorious, and you only come to salvation through faith. Now, for those of you that have teenagers, I kind of liken it to this moment where you have a teenager that maybe is driving for the first time, and they leave the house, and moms, we're, you're great at this. Dads, we're great at it too, but moms especially, you love to chase that kid out of the house, and you love to yell at them many times, not in a mean way, but just to remind them of all the things they're supposed to do and not to do, right? I see your head shaking. You know that feeling of, don't, be, don't, don't come home past this hour, all these things, all these reminders, and you send them one more text. Don't text back while you're driving, but you send them one more text, to remind them of all those things again. Well, enter Romans 15 and 16. It's kind of the conclusion, and it's Paul reminding us just of all the things he's already told us. It's not a lot of new ideas, but it's the reiteration of some things that he really wanted the church to get. He really wants us to understand how to live the life that God has called us to live. And so he closes this part of the letter by hitting some of those highlights again. So just know that it's such a joy to have you here with us. For those of you with us for the very first time today, a special welcome to you. I'm just so thrilled that you are here. I don't believe it's by accident that any person in this room is here. And so I want to pray that God would show you why he's brought you here today and that he would remind you through the power of the Holy Spirit that he has an incredible plan for your life today. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for who you are. God, you are so good. You are faithful. And we trust you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just the peace that we can experience today because of you. And I pray, God, that every person in this room, from the first-time guest to the person who has called Rolling Hills home for the last 10 years, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, and that you would meet us in your word. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and give this morning to you. Amen and amen. If you have a Bible, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible and you want to take one home with you today, back at that table to my right, there's some free Bibles. We'd love for you to take one of those with you today. You can, of course, hop on your mobile device and follow along in Romans 15. A lot of these words are going to be up here on the screen. They're printed for you there in your worship guide as well. So let's pick up in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. 
And so again, this is a letter that Paul is authoring, and it's going to churches in Rome. And what you need to understand about first century Rome is that first century Rome was a place that was very obstinate to the gospel. This is not a place that is in love with Jesus Christ. This is, an, in fact, a place where Christians are being persecuted. In fact, the first century church, it was so unpopular to be a follower of Jesus Christ in Rome that many of the Christians in Rome would have been burned alive. In Rome, Christians were thrown into the Colosseum for sport to be devoured by animals so that the upper elite could watch this unfold. It's, it's very sickening. And Paul reminds the church in verse 5, of, I understand where you are. I see where you're operating. I see the obstacles that you're facing. I see the challenges that you're facing. But he's reminding them that in the midst of all of that, God is the one who gives you endurance. God is the one who gives you courage. And regardless of the obstacles that you're facing, you are to seek to have that same attitude of Christ Jesus. Isn't it so refreshing to know that that was not just a message for them then, but that's a message for us now? This is as relevant to us today as it was to the first century Christians, because we find ourselves in the midst of struggles, don't we? We find ourselves in places where the message of Christ may not be popular. You may work in a place right now where Proclaiming the name of Jesus is not deemed very popular, or you may be facing challenges right now, or you may have people in your life that are difficult, and living like Jesus to those people is really, really challenging. And God says to you, just like he said to the first century believers, I'm the one who gives you that endurance. I'm the one who gives you that encouragement to go on, and I encourage you to adopt that same attitude of Jesus. So what does that look like? What does it look like to adopt the attitude of Jesus? Well, for starters, we could unpack a lot of things here, but for starters, to adopt an attitude of Jesus, you see this here on your screen, it means that your life should be lived in a way where others are prioritized above self. That your life should be lived in a way where others are prioritized above self. We provide you a worship guide every week, and there's some blanks on there. If you want to fill in those blanks and maybe reflect upon those things throughout the course of this week, or maybe you have a really short attention span like I do, and it just helps you to have something to doodle on. But regardless, our attitude of Christ Jesus means that we should live our life in a way where others are prioritized above self. Head back to the text, verses 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Meaning that a goal of my everyday life should be, how can I live like Jesus today? How can I be like Jesus today? Life, according to the Bible, is not about pleasing myself, but rather it's about pleasing my neighbor. Rather, it's about being a aroma of Christ to those in my sphere of influence. It's about God and it's about others to be there for one another, to build others up for good. Verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. See, Paul continues by saying, even Christ Jesus didn't please himself. What did he do? He took the insults and ultimately he died for those who were sinners that's one of the biggest themes of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God's demonstration of his love for us is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It completely changes the game if, if, we, if we see in the Bible that God died for us when we were in a really holy, perfect state. Isn't it encouraging and isn't it refreshing to know that while you were a sinner, that's when Christ died for you? 
At your lowest point, that is the moment that Jesus died for you, that God sent his one and only son so that you could have life. And it didn't, Christ didn't seek to please himself. Rather, he took that up on himself. And Paul reminds us that we are to be the same, that we are to seek to follow suit, that we are to make life about God and about others, and that we are to be last. But in reality, our human nature, <clears throat> our sinful nature, uh, so to speak, um, likes to be concerned about self, doesn't it? I mean, we, we like to think about ourselves first. We like to prioritize ourselves. If you want to know just how much you like to prioritize yourself, do me a favor. Take a group photo, okay? Let's just say, for example, that I get six of us together, and we take a group photo. What would you deem a good photo? You're going to deem it a really good photo if you look good. I mean, every time you've ever been in a group photo, someone shows you your phone, and what do you do? You don't look at everybody else. You go right to you. And if you smile, and if you look great, you're like, I'm posting that on Instagram, baby. <laughs> Meanwhile, Karen over here has her eyes closed. Samantha has this distorted face. You know, that, that, that angle, that face that you get caught in pictures sometimes, and you're like, I don't care how Samantha looks. I don't care how Karen looks. I look good. Post it. We tend to always think about ourselves. And it's our sinful nature, yet Paul says our attitude should actually be that of Christ Jesus who didn't seek to please himself, but sought to make others more important. He poured his life out for the sake of others, meaning that's the kind of life that we are to live. And I'm afraid if we're not careful that it's really easy for us to do the exact opposite of what Jesus says, isn't it? Instead of making life about God and others, to make life all about us. Instead of meeting the needs of our neighbors to just say, I'm going to meet my own needs. I know I've struggled with this many times as well. Where I'll hear a need that comes up. Maybe it's a need with my neighbor or it's a need with someone in our community. And that need comes to my attention. And instead of seeking to help to meet that need, I kind of just focus on everything that I need to do. Or maybe you have a friend right now that you know that's going through a hard time and you've thought about texting them or you've thought about reaching out to them to see if you could get together or you've thought about maybe checking in on them to see how they're doing and instead of doing that, you think, no, I'm going to take the easier path which is just scrolling Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or ESPN or whatever the case might be. That requires a little bit less of me opposed to actually leaning in to see if I could help them through that problem. And what Paul is doing here is he's imploring the church to not hold back. But rather he's saying, I want you to adopt that mindset of Christ Jesus in all situations. And maybe that sounds challenging because it is. But isn't it amazing that he is saying Christ will actually give you all that you need to be able to do that. Christ will give you all that you need to be able to fulfill that plan because, see, Christ gives you this overwhelming amount of peace and Christ gives you this overwhelming amount of hope to adopt the way that Jesus wants us to live. Scroll forward to verse 13 because this is what Paul says. In regards to all of this, you know, kind of teaching about adopting the attitude of Christ and to be pleasing to, to others and to, to seek to put other people first, he says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, and with all peace, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see this here on your notes, but through Christ, you can have overflowing hope no matter what. Through Jesus Christ, you and I can have overflowing hope no matter what. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that seemed hopeless? I know I have. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you really didn't know your next step? 
Or have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation where you've thought to yourself, I know that Jesus would probably want me to do plan A, but my heart tells me plan B or C or D because that's just easier. It requires less of me. But see, it's through Christ that I can actually have that hope and actually have that peace and I can have that direction no matter what. Maybe you've walked in these doors today and you're struggling with an addiction and you don't know how to break that addiction. Or maybe you have a family member right now that's battling an illness and healing seems out of reach. Healing is just not coming. Or maybe there's a stressor in your life right now that is weighing so heavily on you and you do not know what to do. God's word reminds us here in this conclusion of this letter to the church in Rome that God is the one who gives us all joy. God is the one who gives us all peace. God is the one who gives us hope as we trust in him. And so as you and I are seeking to trust in him, he says that hope, that overflowing hope and that overflowing joy is a promise to us. And that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. I would venture to say in a room this size filled with people that there's undoubtedly somebody in this room that's, that's really hopeless. And you just don't know what to do. You don't know what step to take. Maybe your anxiety about a certain situation in your life is weighing so heavily on you right now. And I just want to remind you that you're not here by accident and that God loves you and that we love you and that you would be reminded, and maybe for the first time, that there is hope through the power of the Holy Spirit that this world cannot offer you and that there's hope through God that this world cannot offer you. And, and hope is not some ooey-gooey feeling. <laughs> It's not some kind of made-up feeling, made-up emotion where I can put on a, a, a face to make everybody think that everything's okay. No, hope is that overwhelming, abiding sense of peace in my heart that it is going to be okay no matter what, that God has got this, and that God is good, and that He is for me, and that He has an incredible plan for my life. And if you don't have that hope today, I do pray that you find it today. And I pray that you will take steps towards that today and that you'll voice a prayer as, as, as eloquently as you know how to say it. God, give me hope. God, give me hope. Give me peace. Give me that courage. Because see, God wanted that struggling, persecuted first century church to have hope, to have peace. And isn't it good news? He yearns for the same thing for us today, to seek to have that hope. Let's continue back in the text in verse 15. Yet, I have written to you quite boldly on some points. Can I get an amen on that? Because this is a very bold letter that Paul wrote. He says, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation." See, Paul is saying here, God gave me the responsibility to preach the gospel. He gave me the responsibility to remind the Jewish population as well as the Gentile population that Jesus died for their sins. And he says, I'm only going to speak to that. 
I'm not going to add to that. I'm not going to add my words. It is my ambition, he says, to preach the gospel. And my hope and my prayer is that we would share the same conviction, that we would seek to share that same conviction to say, you know what, I want my life to be about the gospel. I have a question to pose to you today. And maybe it's a question that you've never thought about before. And maybe you're thinking about it for the very first time today. You see it here on the screen. But do you wake up in the morning with a desire to tell others about Jesus? Do you wake up in the morning with a desire to say, I wonder if, and I pray towards that end, beginning with the end in mind, that maybe throughout the course of this day, God, that you would open up a door, or you would open up an opportunity, or you would open up a conversation for me to tell someone else about Jesus. And I love Paul's passion here because he says, it has been my ambition to tell others about Christ. It has been my ambition to tell others about Jesus that have never heard about him before. And my prayer is that that is where my heart would be. That I would wake up in the morning and think to myself, no matter what happens today, I'm going to be presented with a choice. I can make everything about me or I can make everything about God and others. I can go through this day thinking, how does everything affect me? How does everything impact me? How do I get all of my needs met? Me, me, me. Or I can say, God, what is it that you want to do in the life of someone else? Would you provide an opportunity for me to be on the front lines of ministry? I don't want to be content with the status quo, but I always want to be reminded of the needs of others. When you see a moving truck pulling into your neighborhood, which let's just be real, happens all the time around here. I mean, there's like a day that I don't see a moving truck. I'm like, something's wrong. When you see those moving trucks pull up into your neighborhood, do you think, oh, great, somebody new? Or do you think, I wonder where this person is spiritually? And I'm not saying that from a project perspective. I don't want you to view people as projects and think the pastor has told me to go out and project everybody. That's not what I'm asking you to do at all. But when you see someone new arriving in your neighborhood, does the thought cross your mind? I wonder where they are spiritually. I wonder what's going on in their lives. I wonder if, I wonder if, God has brought them onto the street for a reason. And maybe, just maybe, I could be a part of something significant in their life. I could encourage them. I could help them. When you meet a new coworker, do you think to yourself, oh, great, somebody new? Or do you think, here's somebody that I can be in a relationship with, that I can get to know, and that I can see where they are spiritually, and I, and I can encourage them, whatever that is that they might be going through. Again, I'm not asking you to go out of here and say every person that I ever meet is a project. That's not the case at all. But every person that you meet is an opportunity for a relationship. And through a relationship with them, you get to know them, and you get to hear their stories, and you get to see what's going on in their life, and God will use you, and God can use you to have such a positive impact on their life. To be bold and to say, you know what, I want to make my life about sharing the love of Jesus Christ through words and through deeds and through actions with all those that I come in contact with. This, this hit me uh, really, really significantly. It was several years ago, um, this story it just always sticks out to me because it was a couple that was visiting here at Rolling Hills, and they were an awesome young couple, and they were engaged to be married. And uh, I met them, and they were so fun and just full of life and all those kinds of things, and they wanted to get involved in the life of the church. And, and so I think we had a lunch or something and, you know, and, and chatted more with them. And so I wrote down their names and I started praying for them. And uh, the gentleman in particular, his name was Zach, uh, it really stuck out to me. And there was just something about 
I've just, you know, had this, this sense of God has brought this, this pe- these people into my life for some reason. And I started praying for him. And I would see him at church. And he was a really nice guy. And uh, one morning, his name just kind of came to my mind. I was praying. And so I wrote down his name and I started praying. And I'm not one that ever hears the audible voice of God. Some of you do. Uh, but I've never heard God's voice audibly. But I do hear God speak to me through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes there's that still, small voice that God's impressing something up on your heart. And you're thinking to yourself, that's either last night's Mexican food or that's God. I don't know which one it is. And so you kind of let it kind of, you know, play out a little bit and you realize this is God. And he's, he's making something clear to you. And God was impressing upon my heart to just, you know, get to know Zach better and to invite him out for coffee. And as clear as I've ever heard God say anything to me, God said, and when you have coffee with him, I just want you to ask him, do you want to have a spiritual conversation? Well, that's a bold way. I mean, sit down with somebody for coffee. Hey, how are you doing, Zach? Do you want to have a spiritual conversation? And I was like, God, did I hear you right? Like, let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. And so I started praying, and sure enough, I invited Zach out to coffee, and he said yes. Um, and he showed up at the coffee shop, and we sat down, and we chit-chatted for a little bit, and I was thinking to myself of every possible way that I could get out of that conversation, because this is just way too bold of an on-ramp for me. And God is working on my heart. And so sipping on the coffee, and I just sat there and I was like, here goes. And I said, Zach, I've been praying for you, and I'm so thankful that you're part of our church. And I was praying for you the other day, and God really impressed upon my heart to ask you if you wanted to have a spiritual conversation. So would you like to have a spiritual conversation? And it's that moment where you put yourself out there, which you're like, what's he going to say? And he said, I would love to have a spiritual conversation. He said, because God's been working in my heart, and um, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I've been praying for God to bring somebody into my life to have that conversation with me. And then he said, and I had a pretty good idea that it was going to be you. I thought to myself, God, this is all about you. This is all about others. That's not a story about me, but that's a moment where I could have so easily stepped out of that, which I have many times. I could have so easily said, "Mm, that takes too much courage, which I have done many times. But in these moments, when you're obedient to the power of the Holy Spirit, God works. And fast forward in Zach's story, and Zach makes a profession of faith to follow Jesus Christ. We baptize Zach here in our church, and he and his family have since moved out of the area. And I'm so thankful for those moments of obedience, but I'm also convicted for those moments when I've been too scared to step up and be involved in the lives of other people. And maybe you can relate to that as well. And my hope and my prayer is that Paul's words today would, 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 would change our heart and that we would say, you know what, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss those moments. I want to ask God to give me a heart for sharing the gospel with others. Now, Paul continues in this letter by sharing his plans in, ver- in chapters 15 to, to kind of hopefully come and visit them. And he says, I have a plan to come and visit the churches in Rome, and I yearn to be there with you right now. But then in chapter 16, as we transition to there, he he gives some personal greetings. And it would be very easy for us to kind of just skim over all of these. And in the essence of time, I don't have time to go through each and every one of these people and how they were important to Paul. But you need to know that 27 people are named by name in Romans 16. 27 people he offers greetings to. And I want to highlight one of them in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. 
Paul says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Who is Phoebe? Most scholars believe that Phoebe is the one who actually carried this letter to Rome. That Paul writes this letter, he gives it to Phoebe, one of his trusted confidants, one of his trusted partners in ministry, and she carries this letter to Rome. And I find it so significant that in this list of 27 names, these are not just names of men, these are lots of women as well, which is so significant in the first century because the rights of women were so nominal in the first century. And Paul is calling women out by name who are carrying these letters. He's calling women out by name who have churches meeting in their homes. And he's saying, these are my trusted partners. Paul has built a team. This is a partnership. Don't you love? It's a band of brothers and sisters who are working together, who are advancing the gospel, who are encouraging one another. And I love this picture because I think this is what we are supposed to be about. In fact, I don't just think, I know this is what we're supposed to be about, about partnership in ministry, about being there for one another, meeting the needs of one another, building each other up, churches working together, every church in our community not being divided, but being together, brothers and sisters realizing we're on the same team, brothers and sisters in this room realizing that we are on the same team. And what does Paul ask of those partners to do collectively? What is it that he's asking them to do? What is he, is he highly suggesting that they be aware of? Well, scroll down to verse 17. After he names all 27 people, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and who put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone who has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. He says, be strong together. And in your strength and in your partnership, watch out for those among you who try to cause division. Watch out for those who teach something that's contrary to the word of God, contrary to what I have taught you. Because he said, there are false teachers among you. And what do false teachers do? They're smooth talkers with flattering words, and they prey on your naivete. They're smooth talkers with flattering words, and they prey on those who are naive. They are deceptive. In fact, Paul says very Poignantly, as you see here on the screen, be aware when others downplay or compromise truths that are clearly outlined in Scripture. Be aware of those who downplay or compromise truths that are clearly outlined in Scripture. Do you think it's coincidental that Paul takes 16 verses to highlight 27 partners, confidants, co-workers, teammates by name, and then immediately transitions to watch out for the division? Watch out for the smooth talkers. Watch out for those who lead you in the wrong direction. I don't think it's coincidental at all because he's saying you're stronger together and your bonds together, your, your partnership together, your togetherness helps you not be swayed by the deceptive talk of false teachers. That partnership and ministry helps you to not downplay, the, 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 to, to downplay when someone maybe bring something that is confrontational to Scripture or that compromises the truth of Scripture. That's why I believe we should be concerned. You should be concerned when you have a friend who's been walking with the Lord and you see a stopping in that. 
when you see a change in someone's behavior, if you have a friend who's been walking with Jesus and all of a sudden you see something different in their life, or you see them not being passionate about the Lord anymore, or church attendance, for example. Church attendance is not the be-all, end-all. But when you know that someone has been coming to church for a long time and then all of a sudden you see a drastic change in their behavior, that should tip you off to say, I need to lean into that. Not because we're all about perfect church attendance, but because when they get disconnected from a community of believers that are on a Christ-centered, Christ path, that's when we open ourselves up to be in compromising situations and to say, you know what, I'm going to let the truths of this world pour over me opposed to the truths of Scripture. When we separate ourselves from like-minded followers of Christ, we open ourselves up to be deceived. And I've seen this, sadly, more times than I could even count. When I see someone step away from the teaching that says God first and others first, what does that always get replaced with with the world? It gets replaced with me first, doesn't it? When I step away from God first and others first, the world always tells me, me first. You can have whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And Paul says, see, that teaching is not coming from people who are serving the Lord, but rather from those who are preying on you, their own appetites, and we are to be on guard against that. And if you have someone in your life that you see on that path, then I think God has them in your life for a reason. And for you to pick up the phone or for you to text them, and not in a mean way, not in a militant way, not in I'm going to come down on you kind of way, but to lean in and just see what's going on in their life. And Paul continues in verses 19 and 20. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what's evil and innocent about, uh, wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen. <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He says, I want you to be wise about what's good, but I also want you to be innocent about what's evil. Strive for that wisdom and not that worldly influence. And then he says, remember the end of the story. And the end of the story is never forget God is victorious. Never forget everything that you are going through. God is victorious. The power of this enemy is real. The power of the enemy that we face in Satan, it is real. His tactics are tried. His tactics are true. Yet there is a day when the God of peace will crush him underneath of your feet. That day is coming because God is the victor. And when you follow Jesus Christ, you are on the winning team. Does that mean that you're going to have a struggle-free life? Absolutely not. Does that mean that everything's going to work out for you the way that you hoped it would? Probably not. It doesn't mean life is going to be perfect, but it means that God is victorious and so is the church. So whatever might be holding you back right now, give it to him. Whatever might be stressing you out, give that to him. And ultimately, remember what Paul says in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. I love that Paul ends this letter to the Romans exactly where he started. This message is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. In fact, our masterclass takeaway is this. You see it here on the screen. The one parting word that I would give you from our masterclass is salvation through faith salvation through faith. If you're here with us for the very first time today and you thought to yourself, I came in on the last week of this 15-week sermon series. What a bad week to come to church. 
the last week. This is what we've been talking about for 15 weeks, by the way. Salvation through faith. For those of you that have been here every Sunday, you can attest to that. Let me remind you one more time, it is salvation through faith. We are only made right through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about adherence to the law. It's certainly not about being good enough. It's certainly not about putting myself in a place where I have to attain a certain level of holiness for God to love me. Not at all. It's only about faith. And faith means that I trust God when I can't see what's around the corner. And faith means that I know that I don't deserve what God lavished upon me. And faith means that I can have that peace in the midst of all the storms of life. And if you don't have that faith today, I hope and pray that you find it. And I hope and pray that you'll make a note on that card and turn it in here in a little bit so that we can pray for you. Or maybe you'll stick around after the service so that we can come alongside you and and introduce you to a God who loves you. And I pray that you would take whatever step it is that God's asking you to take today. But above all, that we would remember it's only by faith that we're made right and that God is victorious. He has an incredible plan for you. He has an incredible plan for our church. He has an incredible plan for your family. And so why don't we ask God today to show us what that is and for us to be obedient to follow him. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.